We are SC Podcast. Gary Pasquitz and Daryl Rideau with the uh, Texas Post Game Edition. Daryl, the Trojans going down last night, uh, 37 to 14 in a game that uh, a, a matchup of two blue bloods that that started off uh, looking like it was going to be a game that. Uh, was was worthy of the two teams. Two teams that came into the game struggling, uh, both one and one, looking for a signature win. Um, the crowd was big, a school record, 103,000. Yeah. Um, both teams started off playing some efficient football in the, in, the, in the first couple drives, and so it looked like, oh, wow, we could be in for something nice here, that the, this kind of game brings out something good. These two teams bring out something good in here. And so, uh, you know, to talk about that early on, it seemed like things, the Trojans, you, you score on two, first, two of your first three drives, you're running the football. Mm-hmm. But your first drive is nine, nine plays, 75 yards. Then your, your second scoring drive, you're getting the ball with a big pass down to Velas Jones. It seems like, and if everything was on script at that point, it seems like SC came ready to play early on in that atmosphere. And, and Well, first and foremost, Gary, you, you talked about this being a record crowd, 103,507 fans that, that really was looking forward to this trilogy, the third game of this series that expands over 10 years from the Rose Bowl National Championship game where, you know, the, the, the Vince Young miracle game to last year's double overtime victory at the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. And this was the, you know, the flip game, so to speak. What got me was that both of these programs are in somewhat turmoil or disarray. When you think about how the program at USC is trying to transition away from a Sam Darnold quarterback team, Mm -hmm. trying to find its identity, and under a Tom Herman at Texas, they're still trying to find their way. So early on, these two Blue Bloods were really trying to fill themselves out. And you got the sense that USC came in with the right game plan. Uh, what I love what they did was at times they got um, they got JT Daniels under center. They were able to, to get into boots and waggles, mm-hmm. a little play-action pass. They showed signs of the... Um, the fly series, but instead of them just handing it off to Avalis Jones, you know, they, they actually ran some play action pass off of that. The rhythm looked good, but more importantly, Gary, they established, at least inside the red zone, rushing touchdowns, which gave us the at least the illusion that this was going to be a hard-fought game and you were going to respect that these are two blue blood programs and the game is going to be won in the trenches. But we didn't see that. We saw a team that got almost dazzled by the arm strength of JT Daniels and got away from its core values, which is to play balance and to leave behind a trio of running backs that coming into the season, Clay Helton felt very highly about. Let me ask you your thoughts on the way that uh, we, we saw Amon Ross St. Brown uh, used early in this game. It, w- it was interesting last week in the first half he was all but uh, yeah. disappeared. But boy, the, the, this kid is showing us again that this was arguably his best game of his three that he's played so far. But I, I really like the way they were getting the ball to him and he was making plays. Well, what, what I thought was that th- this game plan was mel- well manicured, scripted, uh, at least while they were on script. Mm-hmm. There, there uh, appeared to be balance and texture to to what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And they they seem to have found early on in the first quarter, uh, at least for the first three or four possessions that USC had the ball, they seem to have found the connections. They got um, um, Tyler Vaughn and Pittman involved early in the game. 
They also got the running game established, but more right. importantly, on the most critical downs, third down, they seem to have identified the connection that they were looking for. Yeah. And to the point where Amon Ross St. Brown, I think uh, early on in the game, at least three or four third downs, JT Daniels connected effectively with Amon Ross St. Brown to right. the point where I started to nickname him third down St. Brown right. because you knew that he was going to show up in those critical moments. And and what it did was it kept this offense energized mm-hmm. and it moved the ball and, and extended the drive. Then there comes a time where eventually the plays start to mound up and you go off script. And this offense has not demonstrated its ability to improvise or exploit the weaknesses that Texas might have shown early in the game that would lead you to believe that certain sub-packages would work effectively against those fronts. Instead, what do we see? We saw an offense become one-dimensional. And once you become one-dimensional, you find yourselves chasing down uh, uh, ch- chasing the the yard markers if you don't complete a first down now you're behind on on the downs and now you put yourselves in obvious passing positions which allows for Texas to pin their errors back and, and go after it but make no mistake about it that first half the before halftime the score ended 16 to 14 Stanford but I mean I'm sorry not Stanford but Texas but how you got there is the most mind-boggling thing that any of us could e- ever imagine in this, uh, USC is inside their own red zone, inside the five-yard line. Um, you hand the ball off on third down to Mavai. Um, 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 yeah, Mavai. And the next play is fourth down. You send him off the field for a fourth down package, and you bring on Stephen Carr. Bless his heart. Love Stephen Carr. But if anybody should understand strength and weaknesses of your personnel, it should be USC. Um, Stephen Carr has not demonstrated, at least in his career at USC, that he is the best option in between tackles. Not saying he can't do it, but when you have the physicality play of Aka Cedric Ware and uh, Malavai P.I., Mavai, uh, Mal- Malapii, there is no reason why Carr should be in on that fourth and short. Considering the play before, uh, P.I., um, Mavai gets you down to the one yard line. Why not leave him in on that play? But since you elected to go with Carr, you mean to tell me that the best option is to have him run east and west around the sideline and try to rush, uh, sprint to the pylon against a sprinter group in the secondary that Texas has? I was surprised by that. Situational football just did not dictate why you would be so aggressive in putting in Carr in that situation. Let's talk about a couple things in there in, in that little series because it seems like that's when things kind of, uh, I don't want to say went, went, went off script and went in a different direction, but uh, you, you had that play with Vavai, and what was incredibly interesting is you had a penalty called against USC, and Tom Herman from Texas chose not to take it. Chose not to take and it. And I, I thought that was such a lack of respect for the USC offense and running game that he's basically saying, I'll give you the ball. Uh, right there for one more shot, you know, instead of pushing you back, which in that in that setting, usually that's a given. I don't care if you're giving him another play. Right. I want you backed up another five yards. Uh, and then we kind of proved him right. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I love going under center, mm-hmm. and I love running the football. So let, yes. let, let's just make those two things clear. No, no, you, no, you, no, you, no you, doubt. You can question the plays. You can, I, I love doing that. Um, but the one question I would have for you really quick okay. is, um, if you're going to run car to the outside, why no lineman pulling? Why no lineman out front? Um, and that, that's certainly where a fullback could come into play. No doubt about that. Okay, but I want to speak to the Tom Herman side of, of that. Okay, so 
uh, Tom Herman is still trying to earn the trust of his team. And in a situation like that, where you elect to decline the penalty, pushing mm-hmm. them back, forcing that fourth down situation, that is a gut check. And you're telling, and what you're saying to your team is, I trust you in this situation. I don't want to give them the extra play. I trust you for one play. Conversely, if you're USC, that is an opportunity where you look to a man, you look one another in the eye, right. and you make sure that everybody is dialed in, right. and you have the right play called. There are certain packages that you run in practice, goal line uh, packages that you know are your go-to plays. Mm-hmm. Okay, And to hear Clay Heldon's post-comment remarks that on that fourth down play, that there was an error in assignment, that is on the hands of the coaches right. at that point. Because that comes down to attention to details. Do I have the right personnel on the field? When you're taking off Bavai, Malapii, off the field, you're bringing right, in Carr. Right. That's a substitutional change. And when you make those changes, you have to make sure that the new personnel coming on the field is well aware of what the situation is and the down and distance. Let me ask you this right now. Uh, is that a situation that screams out for, you know, this is why you huddle? In, the, in that situation, looking in the eye. Looking in the eye. That is exactly why you huddle. I get in between the 20s, from 20 to 20, um, that 60 yards of football. I can see why you want to go up tempo, mm-hmm. but in critical moments, it's just like in golf, a putter. You know, you make your money putting the ball. Mm-hmm. You make your money scoring inside the red zone and making sure that everybody is on the same page and dialed in. Right. Because what you did on that fourth down play, caused 103,000 fans that were on their heels at that point to breathe life into in, into that, that stadium. And you energized a, a, a sideline that still did not feel like that they had control of that game. Now, mind you, uh, um, Stan, um, Texas was unable to capitalize. Mm-hmm. But what it did was it woke up the sleeping giant. Of course it did. Yeah, you you make a goal line stand like that, you know, for two plays. Heck yeah. yes, that was a tur- big turning point. Um, and then, then obviously another turning point yep. uh, c- comes uh, in, in the next series when you, you you have them pinned down. And I don't care what the rest called. That was a safety. Uh, Sam Ellinger's knee was down before the ball crossed yes. the end zone line. Uh, you, you, you Google it on the internet and you will see many photos that show that that was the case. Okay, the refs took it from us. My guess is most of those refs lived in Austin. And so that, that's what you get when you're playing here. Um, but then it, you always talk about decisions and coaching decisions at the time. And I'm not putting it on Talanoa Hufanga. The, 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 yeah. young, the young man did what he did, and he went in there, and he was on top of the ball, Daryl. Hey, he, he missed the ball and, and roughed the punter. He did yeah. rough him. Um, but in that situation right there, it just felt like uh, I, I was asked by Greg Katz, one of our writers, right before the punt, he goes, would you go after it? And I said, no, I would not. I, I would be in prevent mode. I'll trust Tyler Bonds to yep. catch it wherever he catches it, and I'm going to have good field position. Right, right. So... Okay, when you talk about that particular situation, that's where it comes back to, like you talked about. Sometimes a huddle is more than just an opportunity to get catch a breath, mm-hmm. okay, and look guys in the eye. More importantly, it's to make sure that your message and understanding of that particular Does situation. Does everybody know what we're doing here? Does every, yeah. Everybody is on the same <laughs> yeah, page. Yeah, and yeah. when you're bringing in, you have a combination of experience and you're mixing it in with youth. It's mainly for the youth, okay? This is a big moment. These guys have never been in a stadium of this magnitude or this size, mm-hmm. and you're putting them in a situation. Now, the question that I have is, between John Baxter, the special teams coach, and Clay Hilton, was this a check-with-me situation, or was this um, a designed, aggressive play? 
that you said, okay, in this particular situation, I think we should go after it. Mind you, USC is up at this point, either 14 to 10 or 14 to 13. And I believe it was closer to 14 to 10 at this point. If you are going to make an aggressive play like that, you better be ready and prepared to handle the consequences mm -hmm. if you do not make that play. Because the consequences far outweigh the positives. And how did all of a sudden did Clay Helton become a riverboat gambler? Being very aggressive on the road in these situations right. when his demeanor says otherwise. He preaches to us about balancing the offense. He preaches to us about really wanting to play behind sound football on defense in a strong running game. We're not seeing any of that. And on that special teams play where you have Hufanga, a freshman, number 15, in a situation where you're giving him the autonomy to go after the, uh, the punter. He ends up roughing the punter, which now gives the ball right back to Texas. Uh, to Texas. What would it have done had they have just played vanilla and given the ball to Tyler Vons? He might have possessed the ball around the 50, maybe even gotten 10 yards or so for short yardage. Perhaps you get a field goal out of that, if not a touchdown. But what you're doing is you're keeping that, that crowd at bay. Instead, you allowed that crowd to ignite. Mm -hmm. And this, this, that seemed like right there, that sequence from the running back on fourth and one car to Hufanga's uh, roughing the passer just felt like a series of, uh-oh, here we go again. And, and it was about that point, I think, where uh, I don't want to say USC got off of an offensive script or what have you, but you mentioned Clay Helton's desire to, yeah. be a, to have a balanced offense. Daryl, one of the biggest numbers to me from this game, um, and it was a halftime number, but it was that, that the first half was a basically even first half. It was 16 to 14 Texas at right. halftime. Like you say, we, 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 that that those decisions right there helped Texas get a couple cheap field goals, but. Texas was not doing anything to dictate to USC the pace of the game. And yet when you look at the run versus pass disparity in the first half, it was 11 runs to 27 passes. Daryl, I got a hard time getting my arms wrapped around that one. Uh, 11 rushes, considering how you started the game right. on script, right. inside the red zone, you rush for two touchdowns. Okay, Then you have some great moments with JT Daniels, and you're starting to fall in love with his arm. When you go off script, you, you're preaching to your fan base and you're preaching to your team that you're a balanced team and that, that you, you really want to lean behind the experience of your running game and really take advantage of the size of your offensive line. But yet, every opportunity, it seems that you become enamored with your freshman quarterback and you're leaning, you're putting the game on his shoulders. Mm -hmm. He is not Sam Darnold at this point. Perhaps he'll have his own moments where he will control a game. I would bet that way. <laughs> but why are you putting that type of a yeah. onus on him this early in his career? I think that that clearly rests on the shoulders of Clay Helton not recognizing that you are going so far off script and that you find yourself, while the game is still well within reach, you're, you're, you're at most you're down by two points, 16 to 14. But yet you abandon the running game to the point where you become so predictable that Texas is able to go to their speed rush defense and come after the quarterback. Right. What I believe is this, Gary. Because of the strong arm strength and accuracy of JT Daniels at times, you should allow that to be the, 
the reason why your running game is running or most effectively because they have to respect the passing game. It should not be the other way around. Right, you right. shouldn't abandon your running game and, and rely heavily upon his arm when his arm may cause the defense to remain at bay, keep maybe six or seven in the box as opposed to eight or nine mm -hmm. uh, hovered around the line of scrimmage. It should be the reason why you are so committed on the road to controlling time of possession and controlling tempo right when you keep the ball one dimensional and you put it in the air it's high risk high reward a lot of things can happen and right after that what did we see we saw an aggressive play up the sideline that led to an interception which flipped the field right back over to texas yeah and it, and it also allowed them like you say to pin their ears back even more and they shut down the run game even more to the point that the you know, usc ended the game when you count sack yeah. yardage and line, with minus five yards rushing that's uh, come that's, on. A, that's, that's inexcusable when, when you're talking about a, a program that prides itself on being tailback you. And you go out and you recruit these, these five-star running backs and you're not showcasing them. What message are you sending to Aka Cedric Ware and Vavai Malapiai who carried the tote mm -hmm. uh, of the load throughout spring and throughout uh, camp? And here it is. Any opportunity you get, you're featuring a passing game that isn't quite fully in sync. Okay, make no mistake about it. They had probably by far their best production. Mm -hmm. But on the road, when the game is well in hand, the game, Gary, did not dictate the reason for no. you going off. USC was proactive about that, and there just I felt like there was no reason for it. And you made a point as we were getting ready for this. Hey, there, there are struggles with the offensive line right now. I don't think there's any question about yeah. that. But, but you, you talked about, hey, any offensive lineman that, that is out there, the, 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 the run game, helps to stabilize the offense and, and you made the point it calms an offensive lineman that's what they want to do gary much like a huddle at times there, there there's a need to have a huddle to look mm -hmm. everybody in the right, eye right there is a higher probability that if you put if you put an offensive lineman in a run set all the time okay there is going to be weakness in your offensive line. There is going to be breakdown because now you're giving the defense greater sample size of how the offensive player sets up and what his moves are. Mm -hmm. okay. What the running game does is it not only does it calm them down emotionally, but it allows them to, to get into the game and to impose their will on a defense and wear them down. But when you find yourself going away from the rhythm of establishing the running back, you put your, to use the analogy that most football coaches use, you, you cause your, your offensive lineman to become the nail, not the hammer. They're not delivering the blow, they're absorbing the blow. And as a result of that, your offense starts to weaken and they start to look passive and soft. And that is, I hate to say this, but that is now becoming the newest identity of the USC when opponents are asked after the game, what did you think about the USC teams that you play against? Oftentimes they'll say, and it's largely um, due to the fact that they're getting away from a physical style of running, that they're soft. Yeah. And you get that soft, you, you, you get that soft moniker when you sit back and you pass the ball three, three quarters out of the game. Um, and, and what we also saw in that shift starting at the end of the second quarter and continuing into the third quarter was, Daryl, that, that there was a five-drive sequence where USC went three and out on four of the drives, and the other drive was five plays yeah. from the end of the second quarter through the third quarter. Yeah. Not only does that, is that ineffective offense, but as you made the point yesterday, that puts so much pressure on the defense. It wears your defense down when you go three and out, and you're trying to catch your breath after a hard-fought battle with 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 the, your opponent, the Longhorns in this case. Your defense comes off the field feeling good that they either 
force them into a, a punt situation or have them settle for three points. You go on the sideline, the moment that you are able to squeeze some water in your mouth, you find yourself needing to get back on the field, that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. The other, the other issue that I have with this, Gary, if you're going to leave, lean heavily with the passing game and abandon your running game, mm-hmm. then you better be scoring points. You better be scoring points. Because last I checked statistically, JT Daniels, after three games, has only thrown one touchdown. And that, that's a very surprising stat. Very surprising. And let, let me give you another one. You, you, you talk about, uh, okay, that extended into the third quarter. You're going three and out. Texas came out in the third quarter. Three of their first four drives, touchdowns. Completely, I mean, obviously yeah. that completely changed the game. And it, right. was, uh, it was a route from that point on. But uh, it, it just seems strange the way things went from the middle of the second quarter to the third quarter. Just the game got completely away from the Trojans. And I want to hammer this point, okay? When we talk about situational football, uh-huh. what we're really talking about is controlling the narrative of the game. Especially on the road, there's, there's really three things that you want to do. On Defensively, you want to force a team to methodically have to drive down the field and beat you. You don't want to give up big plays, which leads to the crowd getting involved in the game. And then two, you don't want to have self-inflicted wounds. And oftentimes, when you take uncalculated risks, you lead to self-inflicted wounds. Mm-hmm. Whether it's uh, changing the field possession or the, um, flipping the field to give your opponent a short field and opportunities, or you're throwing an interception, what ultimately leads to a touchdown for your opponent, just because from a momentum standpoint. But also, when a field goal gets blocked and they run it back for a touchdown, or you start to play hero ball on defense because you don't have confidence that your offense can get the ball in. So now you start trying to jump routes instead of playing sound football, which led to another touchdown. Yeah, and on defense, no, there, there, there a couple of those moments that you're talking about, a Jane with the Harris. missed tackle in the open field, that that's a big miss by and, your and senior. And we, we can call out a Jane Harris because he is a senior. He's played a he's lot a of football. Yeah. He's a big boy. This was a group, the secondary, that you relied heavily upon coming into the season as being a more mature and experienced group. Mm-hmm. And in that situation, the game was still close in hand. You, you, you take a bad angle. Which to me is an inter- you take an interception angle as opposed to securing the tackle. Mind you, behind the secondary, there is nobody else behind you, especially when you're when you're breaking in and rotating in younger, strong safeties. So now you have a Marvell Tell who has experience, but you always as a as a nickelback or a corner, you always have to be aware of who is behind you and how much experience do they have. And if I take this risk, will they have my back? We don't know that at this point, and and clearly. Ajayne did not consider those factors, which goes back to coaching and understanding what that situation is. And did a situation like that call for them to take such a risk? Mm-hmm. I don't think it did. Uh, I, I'll just say, since you mentioned Marvell, I, I thought Marvell played a terrific football game. Um, six tackles, and the biggest one to me was on the opening uh, drive of Texas. They got the ball down into the red zone, and he made an open field tackle at the three-yard line that you know made them settle for a field goal. Right. Uh, I thought that was a very solid game from Marvell. Um, a couple other key, key moments. The, what did you think of the Porter Gustin, the uh, the call on Porter? Uh, for, for a, he had the hands to the face yep. penalty. Yep. But then the penalty that he got ejected for the the, the late hit on the quarterback. I, I thought it was, I thought it, he lunged the way that his body lunged in the fact that that Sam Ellinger's helmet came off. Uh huh. It, it in that stadium on the road, re, 
you just cannot afford to put yourself in that position where you leave it subjective and you allow for those officials to come out and, and have to make that decision because they're always going to err on the side of caution, right. especially when the helmet comes off. But I thought that that was a tremendous blow for the defense. Now, granted, um, they did a really good job of responding mm-hmm. uh, behind Christian Rector, yeah. who ended up, uh, I think, later in that series, ended up forcing a, or recovering a fumble. But when you talk about the production that a Port Augustine provides you, losing him for not only that game, but a game on a short week of the first half is just inexcusable at this point. And while I think it was questionable because I didn't see the crown of his head hit the very fact that the helmet came off, I understand why the officials erred on that side of caution. Boy, there was one one rush earlier that Porter had where uh, I I don't know if it was a fullback that he came upon or, or maybe a tight end or something, but... He bull rushed him on his, put him on his back as much as a defender can put an offensive guy on his back. It was just classic Porter Gustin overpowering yeah. someone. But, but, but Gary, um, just as we lost Porter Gustin, Texas also lost a defender. And to me, uh, there's a lot of talk about JT Daniels having a growing up moment. Uh-huh. And not that Amon Ross St. Brown, Ooh. one would ever argue that he is not the most prepared freshman to, to walk through this program in, in years. Mm-hmm. The catch that he had across the middle where he got blown up that will end up on somebody's sports center, uh, somebody's top 10 play. The fact that he showed the concentration and he came down with that clutch catch told me a lot about the toughness that this kid has. Yes. And there's a reason why he's third down St. Brown in my mind. Right. It's because you know you can rely upon him. But when, when you see a freshman in this program display that type of leadership and character, it should resonate with the rest of his teammates and the rest of those wide receivers to step up their game and to take those hard body contacts uh, coming across the middle. Uh, let's talk special teams for a moment. Uh, this was not a good day for the USC special teams. Uh, a, a blocked kick, blocked field goal, return for the touchdown. Like we said, the uh, the roughing the punter penalty yep. on Hufanga. And then Daryl, what in the world is going on with the USC punters right now? Look, Gary, there are certain positions on the field that you just don't want to be playing roulette with. One is your quarterback position. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be rotating quarterbacks because it throws off your identity. On defense, you don't want to replace your Mike linebacker or your middle linebacker who's your signal caller. And you don't want to be playing um, rotational football with your strong safety who is like the quarterback in your secondary. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate for USC, they're rotating their safeties because of injury and because of um, um, disciplinary actions. But you're also now telling me that you're rotating your punter? You got a short yardage punter and you have a long foot punter? What is this, sabermetrics or cybermetrics or whatever the heck they call that in baseball? Right. This is not time to be started experimenting with that situation. Commit to one and develop him. Because right now, those short fields, shanking, it is is disrupting the confidence of the defense in your whole team. It's becoming a chain reaction. The fact that you are so inconsistent at that position is mind-boggling to me. Because that is not a position where we should be recognizing someone by name. It is not. But right now, we got two dudes there, and, and we can't combine them. I don't know if this is some type of a transformer when we, because you can't form Voltron right. and, and get the best of both. So if, if anything, commit to one and develop that, his weaknesses. Because right now, that is the Achilles heel that is going to prevent this team from even being competitive in the Pac-12. 
And then we could be dealing with uh, an injury to Chase McGrath. That uh, He's going to have an MRI on his knee, so he may be out. Uh, it will be interesting if a Michael Brown is who they turn to, the, the young man who got hurt early in the season last year. Yeah. Uh, the Alex Steinhaus kid, uh, the freshman walk-on, who's doing a fine job with kickoffs. Right. He's the one guy we're not mentioning because he's doing his job. Uh, but I would hate to lose McGrath because he's certainly one guy who has uh, but, but how delivered. But how, how you year. lost McGrath w- w- was due to – the undiscipline of the of the blocking team. Yeah, it's always been my experience playing collegiate or even the short time that I played professional football. On the road is where you really you you spend more time focusing on the attention to details. And the fact that the offensive line had, I mean the the line had those glaring openings to allow for that type of penetration. It cannot happen. On the road or any time, not only do you, you, you give up, you block, the field goes blocked and it's end up becoming a touchdown by Anthony Wheeler of Texas, but you end up potentially losing McGrath. Yeah. When Chase has probably been your most surefire uh, special teams player. Right. Unsung right. hero in the first game. Yeah. That's a huge blow for this program. Okay, and you just mentioned the attention to deal stuff and that attention to detail. Uh, and there's so many areas to point to that, that we've talked about in this podcast from this game. And so much of it revolves around how I want to end this podcast. Uh, and that's by talking about the status of the coaching staff and the perception uh, that people have. Uh, Daryl, the, the, the We Are SC message boards were absolutely lit up that last night. But what, what I talked to you about before we started the podcast, it, it's not barking at the moon, fire Clay Helton, yeah. get rid of it. It's, there's reasons behind it. There are people offering specifics, and you can't argue those specifics. It's it's improperly prepared teams. It's going off script for no particular reason. Saying you want to be balanced, and and having such disparity in this stuff. There's there's a lot of things, Daryl, that aren't adding up right now. Okay, so so Gary, what I'm about to say may not make me very popular around USC at practice, but here are my thoughts. If you're you're Clay Helton, you've been a, a, a lifelong assistant coach. Who has now taken over a, a blue blood program? Okay, you cannot afford to have offensive coordinators who are training on the job. Last year, I thought it was a little odd that Clay Helton elected to have Ty Helton and T Martin kind of split those roles mm-hmm. and responsibilities, mm-hmm. and and I thought it was kind of a slight to T Martin. But now I'm starting to wonder if T Martin may not be overwhelmed as an offensive coordinator. And when you go off script, that causes you to have a feel for the flow of the game and understand what the situations are are deriving at. If you're Coach Helton, Clay Helton, and you're trying to coach the team, the overall team, but then you're also wondering, or if you have the slightest bit concern that your offensive coordinator doesn't have a feel for the game, and now that's causing your attention to divert, it's going to cause you to miss subtle details of the game that are becoming glaring. Mm-hmm. I've never known for a strong company or a strong program to try to overcompensate for the lack of inept of their employees without it showing in other areas. Mm-hmm. And right now, in, the mag- uh, in this program, at, in this juncture, something has to change. Mm-hmm. Because we're not getting the effectiveness out of the skilled players and the offense doesn't seem to be flowing with the rhythm and continuity that they preached about all throughout the offseason. And so when the message board is, is basically saying, look, if we can see this, 
then we know you should be able to self-evaluate this. But the problem that I have right now, Gary, is the post-game reactions and remarks from Clay Hilton leads me to believe that the sky is always blue and there's a rainbow coming over when I see a cloud storm looming over us and I'm preparing for thunder and lightning. You're not preparing me as a fan to manage my expectations by giving me and feeding me the positive spinoff of something that is systemically wrong with your program right now. Give me the understanding or the perception that you know what's wrong with it, but it's going to take time for you to adjust because you're breaking in more players. Mm -hmm. Feed me something more that gives me the belief that you know how to correct this, but it's just going to take time before the players can implement these changes. But until you do that, we're going to have to call you out when you're feeding us BS. Because that's what we all feel right now. We feel like you're lying to us because you're not being true to yourself. If you know that these are changes that need to be made, then give us the impression that you know how to address those changes. And I, I completely agree with it. And believe me, you, those comments may not make you popular. Admit some people how to practice, but I can guarantee you on the message boards right now, you've got a lot of people shaking their heads up and down going, yep, yep, truth right there. Uh, one of the biggest things to me, Darren, in the last two games that really has me worried is, uh, is what I see down on the sideline in the second half when adversity hits. Yeah. And, and that's a sideline that uh, is void of emotion, void of energy, uh, doesn't seem to have a response when, uh, when things are going against them. Daryl, you, you, Trojan football is a second-half football team. That's when you win football. Can you win the game in the first quarter? Can you win the game in the second quarter? Can you win the game in the third quarter? No. Gary, I, I, I've been on bad teams at USC where we, you know, we went three and eight. I've been on great teams when we went 11 and two under Pete Carroll. And the difference between Paul Hackett and Pete Carroll is exactly what you said. No life on the sideline coming out of halftime, even if there was adjustments to be made. The belief that whatever adjustments are made, we're going to be able to implement. Right now, this program is searching for leadership and it hasn't found it. The absence of Sam Darnold perhaps is, is, is more overwhelming than mm -hmm. one could have thought. But the leadership on this team and the amount of experience that they've had going back to the Rose Bowl would lead you to believe that the leadership should be strong. But are their voices being recognized and heard or are they positioned to make plays where they can lead by example? Because I don't see that, I am concerned about where this team is going to go because if it starts to spiral will we see a team that rallies behind or will we see a team that's divided and right now there is a crossroad on a short week what usc team will show up because the second half team that lacked the energy to compete and the will to compete leads me to believe that they're not confident in the message that's being delivered to them because it certainly isn't shown on the on the field of play well, if the Trojans do get back at it Friday night at the Coliseum, I am interested to see what the size of this crowd is, Daryl. Washington State on a Friday night uh, with a USC team that is struggling. Um, that's going to be real interesting to see. But we'll be there, and we'll have our podcast afterwards and our video report with Angel Viscara as well. So uh, from uh, Austin, Texas, for Daryl Rideau, this is Gary Paskowitz. You're listening to the We RSC Podcast.